Do you consider Jesus to be a controversial, divisive figure? There's a man by the name of Dan Stevenson who lives out in Oakland, California, who does. See, Dan Stevenson was looking for a way to clean up his neighborhood a little bit. No matter what he tried, no matter how many times he called the city to complain, he couldn't get people to stop piling up their bags of trash on the side of the street right by his house. And so Dan Stevenson decided that right in that very spot, he was going to set up a statue of Buddha. What makes that story so interesting, at least to me, is not that Dan Stevenson's idea actually worked, although it did. It's what Dan Stevenson told reporters when he was asked about it. They asked him, why Buddha? And he said, Buddha is safe. Buddha is neutral. He said, someone like Jesus might be considered to be controversial, but I figured Buddha wasn't going to be a source of too much contention. It might upset us a little bit to hear someone say something like that about Jesus, but really, when we think about it, it shouldn't. In fact, anytime anyone makes a statement that does more than just share an opinion or their own personal advice, anytime someone makes a claim on the reality of things, that statement is going to cause division. We might think of a few very simple examples. Consider statements like, the earth is round, or Elvis is dead, or 50 years ago, America put a man on the moon. None of those three statements is super controversial, and yet, as you maybe know, there are still people who deny them. And so each of those three statements causes division. Well, in the very same way, if our religion is nothing more than a bunch of opinions or advice, then it very much can stay neutral. People can take it or leave it. But if our religion makes claims on reality, claims about who we are, for example, and where we came from and why we're here, claims about God and who he is and what he expects out of us, what he will do to us if we don't live up to his expectations, If our religion makes those claims on reality, then by nature they are going to cause division. And so, do you know who else considered Jesus to be a divisive figure? Jesus did. In fact, one time he said this. He said, Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. It might still surprise us to hear Jesus say something like that. In fact, maybe you're aware that Jesus said a lot of things that we might find a little bit surprising. This week, I want to spend some time with you talking about some of these shocking sound bites that came from our Savior Jesus. In each case, we'll see that each one of them makes a claim on reality and therefore, to some extent, is going to cause division. But before we talk about anything Jesus said that causes division, it's probably good to start with what Jesus did to cause division. In fact, when he made that statement that he just read, that was what he was talking about. In the very same breath, he said, I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Jesus is describing there God's anger and his punishment against sin. Anger and punishment that we, of course, deserve. He's describing it almost as if it's this strong, powerful current of water that, if left to ourselves, would just sweep us away from God forever. He's saying that he came into this world to stand in front of that current, to be baptized, so to speak, by God's anger and his punishment. Why, of course, so that we wouldn't have to be. 
If we're going to talk about the division that Jesus causes, that's definitely the place to start. Jesus came to rescue us from the wrath and the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. Jesus came to divide us from what we deserve. And thank goodness he did because by dividing us from that, he has also united us to our God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for dividing us from the punishment we deserve for our sin by being baptized by it yourself. Give us opportunities to share this good news so that many more would be united to God. Amen. This week we're talking about some of the shocking sound bites that came from our Savior Jesus. One time there was a man who came to Jesus and asked, are only a few people going to be saved? And in response, Jesus said this. He said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Jesus is sort of known for saying and Christianity is sort of known for teaching that the door to heaven is narrow. In fact, that there's just one way in and that way, that door, is Jesus. To a lot of people today, that statement is not only shocking, it's very upsetting. We would much rather want to believe that there are many doors to get into heaven and that anyone that would try would ultimately succeed. We'd much rather believe that whether a person is Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or even just spiritual but not really even religious at all, that as long as they try their best to be a good person, they'll ultimately get in. And we'd like to think that if heaven were like that, heaven would be more wide open and more people would get in. But believe it or not, just the opposite is true. In fact, I I want you to picture a new restaurant opening up in a city that everyone is talking about and everyone wants to go to. It has great food, fantastic atmosphere, reasonable prices, and so everyone wants to go. And thankfully, this restaurant has many doors. There are doors on the front of the building. There are doors on both sides of the building. There are all kinds of ways for people to get in. And yet, this restaurant that you're picturing is located in the American South back in the early 1960s. And so, in the front window of that restaurant, there's a sign that says, Whites Only. Are there lots of different ways to get into that restaurant? Sure. Does that mean everyone is welcome and can get in? Obviously not. In the very same way, we'd maybe like to think that heaven would have many different doors and anyone who tries their best to be a good person should get in and we'd maybe think that that would open heaven for more and more people. But really, just the opposite is true. Really, we would be making heaven sort of like that restaurant. Sure, there might be lots of different ways to get in, but ultimately, there would be a sign hanging in the front window. The sign wouldn't say, white people only. The sign would say, good people only. The implication, of course, being that all the bad people would be left out. And that's an especially scary thought when we think a little bit about which of those two groups we really belong in. In fact, let me ask, when it comes to God's first and greatest commandment to love him above all things, to always put him ahead of everything and everyone else in our life, where do you fall, good or bad? When it comes to God's second great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, to always put other people and their interests ahead of your own, where do you fall, good or bad? 
The reality is that if heaven is only for good people, then absolutely no one would qualify. Absolutely everyone would get left out. In contrast, because there is just one door to heaven and because that door is Jesus, there are absolutely no requirements to get in. There are no standards that need to be met. There are no expectations that we need to live up to. Instead, God simply says that we need to put our trust in Jesus, the one person who not only tried his best to be a good person but who actually succeeded at being perfect. Put our trust in Jesus, the person who took on himself all the bad things that all the bad people in all the world, including you and me, and took those on himself and carried them to the cross. Yes, the door to heaven is narrow, but because that door is Jesus, it means that there's absolutely no one in all the world who fails to qualify to get in. Yes, that door is narrow, but it is also wide open. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we know that the door to heaven is narrow. In fact, it is closed apart from you. We thank you that even though we are the last people who deserve to get in, you have made that door wide open through your life and death for us. In your name we pray, amen. We like to tell ourselves that there are exceptions to every rule. And of course, when we say that, very often we mean that the exception is us. As in, sure, I know that sign says, road work ahead, local traffic only, but I'm really in a hurry today and the detour goes way out of the way and so I'm sure they won't mind if I just kind of sneak my car through. Or sure, that sign by the express lane at the grocery store says, 12 items or less, but all the other lines are so backed up and so I'm sure it's no big deal if I sneak through with 15. We like to tell ourselves that there are exceptions to every rule and sometimes we even tell ourselves that when it comes to the rules that we find in the Bible. For example, one time Jesus said, All those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is saying that when it comes to the status and the respect that we desire, the affirmation and the reputation that we're all after in life, we really have two options. Either we can make those things our own responsibility, we can make those our goal and our obsession in life. In other words, we can try and exalt ourselves, in which case Jesus says we will be humbled. Or we can forget about those things. We can take those things off our plate and instead be concerned primarily about others, make their interests our obsession. In other words, we can humble ourselves and then we will be exalted. And we know that this is a rule that doesn't have any exceptions at all, not only because Jesus uses the word all in this verse, but this is a rule that Jesus actually repeats on two separate occasions. He's crystal clear. You can either be humble or you can be humbled and there are no exceptions. This is another one of these shocking sound bites from our Savior Jesus. We might hear these words and wonder to ourselves, can anyone actually live that way? Can anyone actually live a life where they're entirely concerned about other people's interests and entirely forgetful about their own? In fact, we might think it would be a little bit scary for someone to actually do this. And yet what's even scarier is what we are realizing about what happens when people don't. I don't know if you heard this, but recently Facebook announced that they are going to experiment with getting rid of their like button. 
you might be old enough to remember that Facebook didn't always have a like button. It wasn't added until 2009, and then all of those other options for reactions weren't added until 2016. Facebook is actually experimenting with getting rid of all of it, even though studies show that's the very thing that keeps us all glued to our screens and therefore enables Facebook to sell lots and lots of advertising and make lots and lots of money. They're thinking of getting rid of all of it. Why? Because they are realizing what it's doing to people's mental health. We live in a world where people are obsessed with the status, the respect, the affirmation and reputation they desire, and the tools to fuel that obsession are literally in the palm of our hands, and more and more we are realizing that it's destroying us. In other words, we don't even need Jesus' rule to realize that half of what he's saying here is true. If we try and exalt ourselves, inevitably we will end up humbled. But of course, we do need Jesus for the other half of this rule, that all those who humble themselves will be exalted. In fact, why in the world would we ever try and pursue a, a level of status or respect that we can acquire for ourselves when the status that Jesus gives us freely is so much better? In him and through him, we have the status of being children of God. We are sons and daughters of the King of the universe. We are heirs of eternal life. And so we can willingly and gladly take out of our hands the responsibility of reaching that status. We can willingly and gladly be humble, knowing confidently that God will exalt us. And thankfully, that's a rule without any exceptions. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, fill us with joy and confidence in the exalted status we have in you. Help us find in it everything we desire so that we in turn can be humble in our relationship with others. In your name we pray, amen. The worst time to make a difficult decision is in the heat of the moment. Say you're in the market for a new house and you see this new listing in a great neighborhood and so you call your realtor up and she lines up a showing and sure enough, it's the house of your dreams. Granite countertops, hardwood floors, walk-in closets, it's got everything that you want. If you haven't sat down before walking through that house and carefully figured out just how much house you can afford, you might end up making a decision you regret. That maybe explains a little bit one of the most shocking sound bites that ever came from the lips of our Savior Jesus. We're told that at this point in Jesus' ministry, there were large crowds of people who were following Jesus and Jesus turned to them and he said this. He said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus wants us to know that if we are going to follow him, it might mean that there are things, even things and people that we naturally love very much, that might have to go. Following him means putting him absolutely first, ahead of everyone and everything else in our life. And the time to figure all that out, the time to really get those priorities in place is ahead of time. If we wait until the heat of the moment, it's probably already too late. If we wait until we're faced with that gut-wrenching decision to break off a friendship or have a difficult conversation with a family member 
or say no to peer pressure or say no to some sort of temptation, odds are by then it's probably already too late. Jesus illustrates what he's talking about with a a couple of everyday examples. Say you want to build something. You might have all kinds of dreams about the size and the shape of what you're going to build. You might have all kinds of desires about the features and the finishes that it has. But but the time to sit down and calculate just how much you can afford is ahead of time, not after the building and the construction have already started. Or for another example, say you want to go to war. Say you want to pick a fight with somebody that you're really, really upset with. The time to sit down and calculate if that's a fight you can win is ahead of time, not after the fight has already started. That's what Jesus is telling us that he wants us to do, to count the cost of following him. So how do you think those calculations will turn out? Well, it actually depends. In fact, just prior to saying this, Jesus told a story about how there was this very wealthy man who threw this lavish banquet for all of the people that he knew. There were actually three people who got the invitation from this man who said no. They might have wanted to go to the banquet, but they had something else going on that they figured was just as good, if not better. But the people that came, the people that eventually filled up the banquet hall, are the people that Jesus describes as the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. People that knew that they had no one and they had nothing that could possibly compare to the riches of the banquet that they were being invited to. In the very same way, if we foolishly think that our friends or our family, our money or our jobs can somehow compete with what Jesus has to offer us, then then when we calculate the cost of following Jesus, we'll probably decide that it's not even worth it. But if we very wisely realize that nothing and no one that we have in life can possibly compete with the unconditional love and the untouchable status and the invincible hope that we have in Jesus, then we will always know that no matter what the cost, it's worth it. That no matter what we might have to leave behind to follow Jesus, we'll always come out way ahead. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate cost so that we could be members of your family. Help us count the cost and be willing to give up anything that would come between us and you. In your name we pray, amen. I once read a story about a 67-year-old woman who went into an Atlanta area hospital for a scheduled and relatively routine exam. But after the exam, rather than being taken back to her room, she was mistakenly taken back to a room on the wrong floor. And so the next day, rather than being released as was the plan, she was actually taken from the room that wasn't hers for open-heart surgery that she didn't need. She was actually on the operating table for more than an hour before the doctors realized the mistake. Thankfully, it was before too much damage had been done. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Going in for a routine exam and getting open-heart surgery instead. And yet I can't help but think that's how a certain man felt when he came to Jesus with what seemed like a simple question. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a pretty routine question. I'm guessing that just about every Christian could come up with a pretty good answer to that question. And yet in response, Jesus eventually said to this man, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. 
This is another one of these shocking sound bites that came from Jesus. Did that man really need to do that in order to get to heaven? And, and maybe more importantly, do we? Well, the thing we need to realize is that Jesus was performing open heart surgery on this guy, you might say. This man came to Jesus thinking that when it came to the commands that God expected him to keep, he was about nine-tenths of the way there. He came to Jesus looking for just a little bit of help with that extra little bit that he still needed to do. And yet Jesus wanted him to see that when it came to those commands, he hadn't even gotten past the very first one. The very first commandment is to love God above all things. And so Jesus used his words to slice this man's heart wide open and help him see that what he really loved more than anything else was not God, but his money. Jesus still wants to slice us open and perform open heart surgery on us, you might say. And it's not primarily so that we can see what's inside of our hearts that might be might be coming between us and God and and somehow clean up our acts or straighten up our lives. No, instead, Jesus wants us to see just how impossible it is for us to keep the commands God expects us to keep. Jesus wants us to see just how much we need him for help. Unfortunately, this man didn't seem to get that and so he walked away from Jesus sad because of how much he loved his money. But thankfully, Jesus' disciples who overheard this conversation, they understood. When the man walked away, they asked Jesus, who then can be saved? If this guy who seemed like such a good and moral person, if he couldn't be saved, then who in the world can? And that's when Jesus responded with one more soundbite that we always need to remember. Yes, if left to ourselves, being good enough to be in God's presence would be absolutely hopeless. But thankfully, Jesus leaves us with good news. Jesus came to solve that problem by being our Savior. And so Jesus answered their question this way. Who can be saved? Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Let's pray. Jesus, when we listen to some of the sharp and shocking things you say, it might seem as though life with you is impossible. Fill us with confidence that you have already done perfectly everything we could not. In your name we pray, amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Thank you so much for investing your limited time to grow in your faith with us. But could I ask you for one more favor? I'm sure you're itching to check out social media or go on to the next part of your day, but you could do a huge help for the kingdom of God if you would rate and review this podcast. Just taking a few seconds of your time will help other people to find time of grace, which matters so much to us because we want people to hear about grace, to hear about Jesus, to hear about eternal life. So thanks for taking a little more time. We pray that God blesses you with a great day and we'll see you soon.